We're here this morning. It looks like we have a, a good number here who are present to worship our God. And I see several in our assembly that are visiting with us. And we are always, always honored to have those visiting our services. And we hope that you'll want to come back and be with us anytime you have an opportunity. Had a wonderful week this past week at the Fried Hardeman University Lectures. Uh, I saw where the temperature here was about 15 degrees warmer than it was where I was, which means it was real cold here, uh, I believe, too. So uh, had a great week in many, many ways, but it's good, so good to be back. Brother Terry Edwards did an outstanding job uh, in the lecture that he presented. I know I heard many good things about Kim and uh, the ladies' class that she taught, and uh, uh, we appreciate their talents and their abilities as well. Uh, we're also uh, happy to announce that we've got two anniversaries uh, that we want to note for tomorrow. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. And it just so happens that Walt and Jean Spiro uh, will celebrate their 63rd wedding anniversary tomorrow. Walt's excited about that. If you look at his tie and got all those hearts on his tie, he's already celebrating it. It's not even here yet. Uh, also, uh, Jerry and Brooksy Wynn uh, will be celebrating their 62nd wedding anniversary tomorrow. Uh, me and my wife have already discussed our uh, Valentine plans and what we're going to get each other. We've decided to stay together for another year. So uh, that's where it's going to go from there. I do want to uh, share with you uh, something that uh, I think is going to be of great benefit to you. In each of our foyers, you'll find copies of the new Spiritual Sword magazine. It is a quarterly magazine. I firmly believe that the Spiritual Sword and the Gospel Advocate are uh, two uh, magazines that are very beneficial. If an individual Christian would just read the Spiritual Sword every quarter and read the monthly Gospel Advocate, I believe that individual will be well on his way to being equipped uh, to be strong in the Lord and to stand up for those things that are right uh, in the Lord's church today. So this particular issue, and I appreciate our elders for allowing us to have these copies here uh, for this quarter available to you. It's entitled, Give Us Real Leaders. It's about the eldership. It's about uh, leaders in the church. And uh, certainly we appreciate our elders, and I believe this will... Uh, help you to even greater appreciate our elders. So please take these, and once you finish reading them, uh, if you will, pass them along to somebody else who can also benefit from them. I do appreciate all the great things that went into our successful day uh, last Sunday, our Fortifying the Family Day. Uh, if you weren't here, uh, I would just say you missed out. Dr. Billy Davis did a superb job in the three lessons that he presented. And I'm happy to pass along the news to you that he's going to be here next year. We have worked it out. He'll be here the second Sunday in February of next year. And he's already booked that for us. And so uh, hopefully that excitement from last week will carry over another 51 weeks. And uh, he'll be here and that time will come before we realize it. This morning I want us to... Go back in our Bibles to the Old Testament, and I want to look at one verse in the Old Testament that I really believe can help us to identify 
with our own lives. In 1 Kings chapter 20, in verse 28, the Bible says, There came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel, and he said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said that the Lord is God of the hills, but he's not the God of the valleys. Therefore I will deliver this multitude into your hands, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Now without going into the historical context of that particular verse, I just want to point out this morning that there are hills and that there are valleys in life. And I want us today to think about what this means in our own lives. I love to ride roller coasters. If I could get somebody to go with me to a roller coaster theme park, that would just be a, a great day for me. I enjoy roller coasters thoroughly. Now, I have to ride the first one to really get in the mood. You know, I have to pull my stomach lining out of my sinus cavity on the first one, but then I'm fine for the rest of the day. I love to ride roller coasters. You know, you go up the, the tall hill, and then it's down, and then there's those that have the twists and turns, and, you know, you go upside down two or three times, and, and roller coasters can be a lot of fun. We've heard the analogy that life is a lot like roller coasters, and I think that's true. In life, there's a lot of ups and there's a lot of downs, aren't there? There's a lot of twists and turns, and those times when we seem to find our lives completely turned upside down. I think all of us would agree that there are times in our lives when, when things are really going good for us, when when things are going very well, maybe on our job, it's just, it's just great. Everything is going good uh, with my fellow co-workers. Or maybe we think about our family life and our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our children. Everything just seems to be going so well. Our health is good. Uh, we don't have any health problems right now. Uh, we think about our relationship with our friends. And, you know, things are going so good in that department. And on top of that, I feel so confident and secure about my relationship with God. I feel good about the spiritual aspect of my life. And yet we know that there are those low ebbs. There are those times when we become so very discouraged and disheartened. I've been down in those valleys. You've been down in those valleys. Sometimes there are problems that come our way. Maybe it's some kind of crucial family problem. We may be facing serious financial difficulties. Maybe we lose our job. Maybe... It's our children. Our children just doesn't seem to be following the path that we thought they needed to follow. They, they, doesn't, they doesn't seem to be taking our advice. They, they seem to turn away from the principles that we've tried to teach them. 
Maybe we face the death of a, a dear, dear loved one. Something that causes us to begin to question things. You know, why is this happening to me? And, and God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? And maybe we begin to question our faith. Or maybe we become the object of some kind of, of criticism. I've talked with people from time to time, and they'll come to me and ask me for advice about some criticism they're receiving. Sometimes the only thing that, that you can say to somebody is the words of Jesus who said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you just have to encourage them to go on with life. And sometimes we wonder, you know, can I actually go on? Can I make it another day? Is it really worth the effort to live the Christian life? And I want to suggest to you today that there are hills and there are valleys in life. And the Bible suggests here in this verse that the God of the hills is also the God of the valleys. The God that made the hills also made the valleys. The God that is over one is over the other. And I want today to observe the fact that we do go through those valleys from time to time. The fact that we experience those valleys, maybe even deep valleys from time to time, that does not change the fact that God loves us, God cares for us, and God will be with us even when we have to go down into those valleys. I just think it would be good today. I think it would be encouraging for each of us as if we could just go back and, and see how this principle is applied to the lives of some great people that we really respect in God's Word. And when we can stop and see that this principle is also characteristic of some of the great people in the Bible that were just like us, then perhaps we won't be surprised sometimes when we find ourselves down in the valley, spiritually speaking. First of all this morning, I want us to think about Elijah the prophet. Now, I really love to think about the prophets in particular. I love to think about Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah was a man that I believe must have had unlimited faith in the God of heaven. There was absolutely no doubt at all in Elijah's mind regarding God's power, regarding God's ability. Elijah believed with all of his heart that the miraculous and the mighty power of God would overcome the God and the idolatrous worship of Baal. Now you'll recall in 1 Kings chapter 18 how that 
God's people had sadly turned away from God in spite of the great things and the wonderful blessings that God had given His people, they still turned away from Him. And they were worshiping the idol god Baal. Well, we know how that Elijah had caused a, a great drought to come upon the land. And Elijah met up with old King Ahab. And Ahab said to Elijah, Are, are you the one that is troubling Israel? Elijah said, no, I haven't troubled Israel. But you and your house, they've troubled Israel. And Elijah said to Ahab, listen, I want you to summon all the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them, and the people as well, and I want us to meet together on Mount Carmel. Well, Ahab did just that. He summoned all the prophets there. And on that occasion, we find that Elijah began things by saying, How long halt ye between two opinions? The New King James says, How long are you faltering? between two opinions. I believe the English Standard Version says, how long will you keep on limping between two opinions? Elijah says, you people need to make a choice. He said, if the Lord be God, then serve Him. But if Baal be God, then serve Him. And Elijah instructed those prophets, he said, let two bullocks be brought and let one be given to the prophets of Baal and one to myself and let those prophets of Baal dress their bullock and put it on the altar to Baal and I'm going to do the same thing on my altar to God and Elijah said the God who answers by fire let him be God well, they all agreed to that. And Elijah said, now, you people outnumber me. You've got 450, and it's just me here, so you go first. Well, those prophets of Baal, they dressed their bullock, and they put the wood on the altar. They put the sacrifice there, and, and they begin to call on their God. They said, Baal, Baal, hear us. They cried all morning long, but nobody answered at all. No response whatsoever. Well, Elijah began to, to kind of mock them and make fun of them. I think he probably used a little trash talk here to those prophets of Baal. He would have gotten an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty if this was an athletic contest. He said, well, maybe your God is out pursuing somebody else. Maybe that's why he's not answering. Or maybe your God is, is on a trip somewhere. It could be that, you know, your God's out trying to take a vacation. Maybe your God is, is asleep, and you may need to cry louder just to wake him up. Well, these prophets of Baal cried on to Baal until about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And you can see their evident sincerity as they begin to cut themselves with knives and lances according to, 
you know, the tradition of their religion to Baal, and still no answer came. They kept crying, Baal, hear us. It's obvious that they were sincere, but there was no one that answered. Well, at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah said, listen, I want everybody to come near. I want everybody to listen, and I want you to see and observe what's going to take place. And Elijah there prepared the altar of the Lord that had been desecrated and laid bare from non-use. He took the twelve stones he placed upon that altar. He put the wood in its place. He dressed the bullock. He laid the sacrifice on the altar. And Elijah said, I want you to take four barrels of water and pour on the sacrifice. I've always pictured those green curbside garbage cans that you know, we put outside our houses twice a week, maybe about the size of that, perhaps a little bigger. Elijah said, I want you to pour four barrels of water on the sacrifice. They did that. He said, I want you to do it again. And they did it again. He said a third time, I want you to pour four barrels of water on the sacrifice. That sacrifice was completely drenched in water. Elijah had even dug a, a big trench around the altar. And the water even filled up that entire trench. And we find here that Elijah called upon his God. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and the wood and the altar and the stone. It even licked up all the water in the trench. Those people realized right then that God is God. Elijah said, don't you let a single prophet of Baal escape. And we find on that day that 450 prophets of Baal were slain right there on the scene. You know, when I read this text, it just amazes me how Elijah was on this occasion. It just seems like that, that Elijah has mastered the entire situation. He has absolute control. He has absolute confidence in God and in himself and in the people. On this occasion, Elijah was strictly on the mountaintop. But if you turn over in your Bibles just one page... The very next chapter, the very next day, we find that Elijah's attitude changes completely. Elijah's attitude is altogether different because after Elijah left the mountain, his faith really began to waver. He really became somewhat uncertain. His attitude changed completely. You see, no longer after Elijah left the mountain were the crowds still around. Elijah's not on public display at all any longer. Now it seems Elijah is facing an entirely 
different problem. It's a personal problem. Because after this, Ahab told Jezebel what Elijah had done to those prophets of Baal. And Jezebel was filled with anger and rage. And she sent word, she sent a message to Elijah that by this time tomorrow, you'll be like one of those prophets of Baal. This time tomorrow, you'll be a dead man. Now folks, I don't know about you, but if anybody were to tell me, by this time tomorrow, you'll be dead, that would disturb me a little bit. I don't know how you would feel about that, but, you know, that would get my attention. By this time tomorrow, you'll be dead. And particularly if it was a person who had the ability to do it, like wicked Queen Jezebel. This time tomorrow, Elijah, you're going to be dead. And in 1 Kings 19 and verse 3, we read that Elijah went for his life. And he came to Beersheba, and he asked God to take away his life. Oh, how discouraged, how despondent, Elijah had become. In 1 Kings 19 and verse 14, he said, God, the children of Israel have forsaken your covenants. They've thrown down your altars. They've slain your prophets with the sword. And God, I, even I only am left. And they're trying to take my life. You know, it just seems like here that that we're reading about an entirely different person here in this chapter. Here's an individual that's just been on the mountaintop, and now he's so deep in the valley that he's asking God to take away his life. He says, God, I don't even want to live anymore. I'm the only one trying to do right. And just yesterday... This man had led an entire nation to repentance. But isn't that so characteristic of human nature? That one day we can be so strong and so confident, so sure of things, and the next day comes along and it just seems like we've just about given up altogether. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9... God said to Elijah, what are you doing here? God seems to be saying, Elijah, of all the people in the world, why are you here? Don't you just remember what happened yesterday on Mount Carmel? Elijah, don't you remember how that yesterday you stood fearlessly before those 450 prophets of Baal? Elijah, just yesterday, you were leading an entire nation to repentance. What's happened to you, Elijah? Don't you realize that the God of the multitudes is also the God of the individual? You know, when Elijah left that mountain, 
It wasn't one nation against another any longer. It wasn't one multitude against another. It wasn't even one God against another any longer. When Elijah left the mountaintop, it was just he himself, and Elijah became very discouraged. Now, I wonder how many times we have been like Elijah. Now, Elijah finally realized that, that this discouragement was unfounded. He renewed his spirit. The Bible talks about his faith being increased. He returned and he did what God told him to do. But the point we need to understand here is that as great a prophet as Elijah was, he experienced a deep valley. And I believe there's a lot of personal application that we can make from this in our own lives. You know, I know from personal experience that there are those times when we're really strong for the Lord, when it's easy to be a Christian and do what's right. And then there are those times when it's very difficult to do so. I think about our precious young people, wonderful people. I don't envy the time in which you folks are, are growing up today. Number one, I don't know if I could figure out all the technology. But there's so many things that make it difficult to be a, a Christian young person in this world in which we live. But you know, just like Elijah... You know, Christian young people, we, we may go to a place like Exposure Youth Camp. And, you know, what a wonderful event that is at the end of the year. 1,200 Christian young people singing together, encouraging one another. You know, it's so easy to do what's right and, and to be the kind of person that you ought to be. You know, spiritually speaking, you are on the mountaintop. Just couldn't get any better than this. But then you come home. You go back into that locker room where all the foul language is being said. You go back among those people that don't respect Christian principles and they don't act like Christians should act. And it's difficult, isn't it? To be what you need to be to do what you need to do. It's difficult to be strong. Because you see, just like Elijah, you're no longer on the mountaintop. It's just you and you alone sometimes to face those difficult situations. I want to share this with you today. I thought about whether I should or shouldn't, but I am, because I think it illustrates the situation. Uh, we got a letter in the mail uh, this week, and uh, it says, Dear Junior and senior class members and parents. And it goes on to say that uh, a group of senior parents have made plans for a dance following the junior and senior banquet. Without going into detail, it says, this is not a school-sponsored event and is not affiliated with Alabama Christian Academy in any way. Now, 
Two things stand out in my mind right off the bat. Number one, there's a reason. There is a reason why this is not affiliated with Alabama Christian Academy. There is a legitimate reason why this is not sponsored by the school. And the reason it's true is, number two, is because this is not considered to be a Christian activity. Or else it would probably be sponsored by the school. Now, the dilemma is this. As a Christian young person, what kind of decision am I going to make? Now, when I'm at Exposure Youth Camp, you know, or I'm one of these events like the Fried Hardeman Lectureship last week, you've got all those thousands of preachers and elders there that stand up for the truth, and, you know, it's easy to do what's right there. It's easy to stand up for your principles in that kind of situation. But when the rubber hits the road and these kinds of decisions have to be made, it can be very difficult. It can be very trying. Particularly if you do what's right and you are determined to do what's right and yet in spite of that, you may find yourself down in the valley. Now what is God trying to tell Elijah here? God is trying to tell Elijah that he is with him just as much down in that valley as he was with him on the mountaintop. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And we have to realize that life is like that, that there are hills, there are valleys that come our way in life. And this same principle is true with so many other characters. I think about the man John the Baptist, just for a moment. I don't think anybody could have done a better job than John the Baptist in preparing the way for the Lord. John the Baptist went out and, and preached fearlessly, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John even had the guts. He had the stamina and the courage in Mark chapter 6 to stand boldly before Herod and say, Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. John was there in Matthew chapter 3 when our Lord was baptized. He saw the Spirit of God descending from on high and lighting upon the Son of God. John heard that voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. John always made it a point to say, I'm not the Christ. There comes one mightier than I, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not even worthy to stoop down and unloose. John said, He that is Christ must increase and I must decrease. When Jesus came on the scene, John would say in the words of John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It just seems like that there would never be any doubt at all 
in John's mind regarding who Jesus Christ is and was. That is, the Son of God. John was there when the sonship of Jesus was manifested. But you know, John, after he stood up to Herod, was thrown into prison. There in that dark prison cell, all by himself, because of the circumstances in his life, things seemed to change somewhat. Maybe John's not quite as sure as he was beforehand. In fact, we read it in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 2, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to Jesus, Are you he that should come? Or do we look for another? You see, John doesn't seem to be as sure and as confident as he was beforehand. Now here in that situation when John was in prison, I think deep down inside, John realized and knew that Jesus was the Son of God. But the point is, when difficult circumstances came in John's life, when he faced disappointment, when he was in prison, John had a difficult time, it seems, maintaining his faith. But you see, John needed to understand that God up in heaven was with him just as much in that prison cell as he was when he heard those words, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. My time is up today. I had another character that I wanted to share with you, but I think I'm going to wait and talk about him tonight because of, of time constraints. But I want us to realize today that, that God is with us, that God cares for us. And I want to close with a, with a beautiful illustration that I heard this week at the Fried Hardeman Lectures. I thought, man, this really applies to to this particular lesson. One time in a very elaborate and expensive hotel, a little girl made her way down to a parlor there in the hotel where there was a, a grand piano. Of course, she really couldn't play the piano, but she got on there and began to plug away as loud as she could, one note at a time. I guess it kind of got to be somewhat of an annoyance, but... One of the people that were staying there was a world-renowned musician, piano player. And he heard this little girl plugging away at that piano. And so he went downstairs and he went to the parlor and he walked up and asked the little girl if, if he could play a song with her. And she said, sure. And so that musician took that precious little girl up in his arms and, and, and sat her in his lap. And as that girl plugged away like she had been, that musician with all of his talent and all of his ability played a beautiful, beautiful song that went in perfect harmony 
with that little girl just plugging away. You see, that's what God does for us today. Here we are in life, we're just plugging along, aren't we? Doing the best we can, making a, a mess of things a lot of times. But God, our Father, just sets us in His lap. He puts His arm around us. And God turns our little plugging along each day into a beautiful masterpiece. That's what God does. God cares for us. God helps us. He sustains us. We're going to sing a song of encouragement this morning, and it may be that you're yet outside of Jesus Christ. You've never obeyed the gospel. Today would be a wonderful time for you to become a child of God. You could do that this morning if you'll demonstrate the faith that you have in Jesus Christ as the Son of God by repenting of your sins. You can confess the name of Jesus that He is the Son of God. And you can be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. Or it may be today that you've been down in the valley. Maybe you're down in the valley right now, spiritually speaking. God is there to help you. And if you'll turn to Him, He'll give you the strength to overcome. The invitation this morning is yours. If you're subject to it, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing.